Wunderbar, guten Tag, herzlich willkommen zu Henning weiß alles am besten. Heute behandeln wir das Thema Sprache und mit mir ist der Otto Kuhnle. Hallo, ja, danke. Das ist ja mal wieder ganz nett hier, oder? Ja, mir gefällt das eh gut hier in London. Ja, also. Mir auch, das, mir gefällt es auch. Also je öfter ich herkomme, umso besser gefällt es mir. Ne? Du kriegst das jetzt auch mit der Sprache immer besser hin. Ne? <lacht> By the way, maybe you've just noticed, Otto and I, we're just doing exactly the same thing you Brits do whenever you travel abroad. <lacht> yeah, we just carry on speaking in our own language regardless. <lacht> maybe you noticed we do it without shouting. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. Welcome to Henning Knows Best. It's the program where Otto Kuhnle, uh, funniest man from Dusseldorf, and the Fatherland's foremost Jodelmeister, and I, the German comedy ambassador, have a look at different aspects of British society. <laughs> Today's episode, as you might have guessed, is about language. Now, as you can see, language has great many practical uses. For example, using language is a great way to start an argument. Best way to finish an argument is a nuclear bomb. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. So, firstly, I want to compliment all my British friends, as you're much better than your reputation when it comes to speaking foreign languages. Mind you, that isn't saying that much. Uh, the British willingness to learn foreign languages is somewhat hindered by the fact that everyone abroad speaks English. But from my experience, every Brit really does enjoy speaking a foreign language. When I say speaking, every Brit is convinced they're fluent when they know a handful of words. Now, I remember once being heckled by someone shouting Kartoffelsalat. <laughs> A potato salad. <laughs> Didn't make any sense, but who cares? His face was beaming with pride. <laughs> I said it, my one word is out, I'm fluent. <laughs> I speak a foreign language, I'm the ruler of the world. I said it before and I'll say it again. Kartoffelsalat. <laughs> Kartoffelsalat made me the man I am. Well, my first contact with a native English speaker was at the age of 12, when a new pupil joined my local school in Hagen, Westphalia. Nino Vollmer, his name from America. Funnily enough, despite speaking English his entire life, he only achieved average marks in our English tests. <laughs> and every, true, and everyone took that as a sign of him being really thick. But, but, but now I understand it was because our teacher's English simply wasn't good enough to assess his ability. <laughs> I mean, how can I explain this? Our teacher's English was at the level he would have gone to see a British stand-up and shouted, potato salad! <laughs> the best way to learn a foreign language is to teach yourself. Like 40 Towers Manuel. <laughs> And a likable Spaniard with a tasty granddaughter? <laughs> Hello, Mr. Faulty. I speak English. I learned it from a book. 
So every Brit knows enough phrases to get by on their holidays to Germany, as long as the conversation requires shouting, Achtung! Spitfeuer! Donner und Blitzen! Or the barrel is red hot, yet still they come. I also like it how in war movies everyone speaks German. But only until they need to explain a plot point. <laughs> Heil Hitler! Jawohl! Schnell, schnell! The explosives have to reach the bridge by midnight. <laughs> As if the German language couldn't be used to explain logistics. <laughs> It's like saying the French language isn't equipped to tell a really, really, really dull love story. <laughs> a single worst moment for foreign language ability came on January the 1st, 2002, when Spain gave up the peseta and tourists couldn't refer to the prices in spots any longer. How many potatoes for them flip-flops me old China pour for war? <laughs> It was a staple of entertaining foreign holidays. <laughs> Brits are obviously not alone in celebrating ignorance. I'm sure we all remember what used to be the best day of the year, don't we? The day of the Eurovision Song Contest? <laughs> and that was by far the best day of the year because that was the one day a year when you could hear a song in Finnish. Uh, and another one in Russian, one in Albanian, and poorer countries would spend their annual GDP on a keyboard. <laughs> It was a laugh and a half. It was the best day of the year. And I remember when I was a little child how our family, the Vane family, we were always sitting round the telly an hour before the actual transmission started. Yeah, we were already sitting there rubbing our hands in excitement for the jolliness to come. <laughs> and we were never left disappointed. Immediately, we were quite privileged because my father does speak all European languages. It's at least what he always claimed on the best day of the year. My father always insisted on giving simultaneous translations. <laughs> and over the years, a certain pattern emerged. So if my father is to be believed, then all Northern European songs were about how cold they were. <laughs> and them demanding an extra bottle of schnapps eh, to keep themselves warm. And all Eastern Europeans were demanding an extra rations book for having attended the Communist Party Congress. <laughs> and all Southern Europeans wanted to make sweet love to their donkeys. <laughs> you know, all this innocent fun is gone. These days, they're all gabbling along in pidgin English. It's infuriating, even Germany. When Lena won it two years ago with her horrible song, Satellite, she sang it in English. What's the point of that? I mean, last time I counted Duden, the standard German dictionary consisted of 312,414 words. And you would think that's a sufficient number of words to write some inconsequential ditty with. <laughs> Turns out he was yet to sing a rubbish song in English. <laughs> I went everywhere for you. I even did my hair for you. I bought new underwear, they're blue. And I wore them just the other day. Get off my telly, you national embarrassment! 
Well, at least sing it in German. Ja, ich hab überall nach dir geguckt. Ich hab mir sogar extra schön die Haare schön gemacht. Neue Unterbuchse habe ich auch gekauft. Blau. Es riecht jetzt ein bisschen streng. Die habe ich nämlich auch schon 14 Tage an. See, the song is still absolute rubbish. But at least it does have some gravitas and no one would even dare to give it zero points. I mean, the Serbs, they did it properly. They sent some platinum blonde, androgynous freak, and a few people dressed as farmers, and they were all jumping about like madmen, and the only understandable word was the chorus, Balkan, Balkan, Balkan. I mean, why can't we submit something like that? A Deutschland, Deutschland. I mean... <laughs> Zero point. <laughs> As I always say to my English friends, trying to win the Eurovision Song Contest, singing in a foreign language, is every little bit as ridiculous as trying to win the Football World Cup with a foreign manager. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and no self-respecting nation would attempt such a stupid thing, would they? <laughs> Please welcome to the stage, uh, specialist on languages and cultural history, the author, Henry Hitchings! <laughs> yeah, Henry is an expert on languages and has written books such as The Secret Life of Words, How English Became English and the Language Wars, A History of Proper English. So what's proper English, then? There's no such thing. It's just what people decided. It's actually the, the story that I tell in this book is about how our ideas of, of sort of proper English have really been shaped by individuals. We've never had an institution which does it. And um, an obvious sort of point of contrast is France, where since 1635 they've had the Académie Française, Uh, an organisation which exists for the amusement of foreign journalists. Um, and uh, we know how successful the French have been in their attempts to repulse foreign influence on their language because they don't have words like le weekend and les blue jeans and le self-made man and uh, le Jacques Poe. Yeah, they, they do look after their language, don't they? Like, talking about the Eurovision Song Contest, they always make sure that they enter something, their French song, isn't it? And they've got... And how many times have they won it? Yeah, but probably your vision song contest is the one thing in life that is not necessarily about winning, but... It's uh... fair to say that the words French and victories don't often belong in the same phrase. <laughs> Now we're talking. Jawohl! <laughs> Now, Henry, how many languages do you speak? Uh, two and a third. That's three? Well, no. the, third, the third is German, but I wouldn't really like to be put on the spot. And, of course, having said that, I know it's, it's going to happen, isn't it? Muss nicht unbedingt. Ja, das stimmt. Aber sprechen nicht fließend Deutsch. Das ist super. Ja. Wunderbar. 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 I'm sorry. Ja, yeah. Kartoffelsalat. 
there were movements like Esperanto where they tried to artificially create a language that could be spoken by all. So such an approach is said doomed right from the word go. It should be said Esperanto, which was developed by a Lithuanian ophthalmologist called Ludwig Zamenhof, is not the only example of an artificial language. There have been loads, but you won't have heard of many of the others because they have memorable names like Volopuk and Cosmoglossa. They almost sounded like computer languages, didn't they? We should be so lucky. Uh, I think in Volopuk, uh, the verb for to speak is plopon. Um, <laughs> I might be wrong about it being to speak. There's definitely a verb plopon, which appeals a lot to people who are about six years old. <laughs> um, but may sort of hamper its efficacy in the broader world. Seeing that you're an expert when it comes to uh, languages, how good are you at Scrabble? really ridiculously good. However, sorry to sound really cocky, the only thing is I haven't actually learnt all the two-letter words. And I did once find myself with the strange experience of playing Scrabble in Polish. And in Polish, um, the letter Z is worth one point. Fascinating. I knew, I knew, I knew you'd be interested. It could have been yours. Yeah. How much is the L in the Welsh? version. <laughs> it's got to be, it's gotta be one point. Double L should be one point as well. <laughs> yeah. Have you got, like, a favourite word in the English language? Um, probably not that I can say on the radio, but, I mean, the, it rather depends who you're speaking to. A word that I have tremendous affection for is the word piglet. Um, but, you know, this obviously sort of highly educated radio listening audience might be more impressed if I said, I don't know, that my favourite word is sesquipedalian, which is uh, a, a rather sort of archaic word for polysyllabic which is in so, itself a rather archaic way of saying, uh, you know, talks like someone who works as a management consultant. Um, which is a, a quite modern profession, ironically. Uh, people have been doing that stuff for a long time. It's just the name that's new. What were they called earlier on, then? Did the Anglo-Saxons have the word tosser? <laughs> Henry Hitching! What we didn't discuss so far has been uh, the lovely language that is yodelling. Yeah, because, yeah, <laughs> yodelling never was regarded as any kind of music. It always was something, I mean, you know that, uh, to transfer, uh, to transmit uh, information from one mountain summit to another one. Yes, yes. Yeah, because you understand that? Yeah, because otherwise you would have to go into the valley. Yeah, and then climb then up. up again, only yeah. to say, oh, I'll be, be a bit late for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very inefficient. Yes, you know? yeah. And uh, you know, and the sound of yodeling. I don't know if you know that. It's always it's like uh, inspired by nature. For example, if you want, you want to. You, everybody here wants to yodel, I think. And I have a little exercise, Havin. Yeah. Uh, for the men, mm -hmm. if you want to yodel, you have to imitate the shout out of a cow. Uh, <clears throat> I will demonstrate that for you. Sounds like that. <laughs> May I hear now all the men, please? <laughs> very nice. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah very, very good. Very yeah. And uh, for the women, uh, can you please make the sound? It's a different. They, they use a different uh, animal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the sound of a sheep. Uh, can I hear the sound from the women? It sounds like that. Can I hear that, please, from the women? Yeah. Ha they did it. I get the ten pounds. Please. Yeah. 
When I first moved to Blighty, didn't have the first idea. Takes time to understand that working class refers to the unemployed. <laughs> um, public school isn't for members of the public, but the aristocracy. <laughs> so over the years, there's been a considerable improvement in my Londonization, because last year I did a gig in Bolton, got heckled with the memorable line, knock off back to London, <laughs> you cockney tosser. <laughs> Uh, that was the proudest moment of my life. <laughs> finally arrived. All that listening to Chaz and Day finally paid off. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, most people don't think I'm from Germany because I don't have a German accent. <laughs> no, I don't because I don't sound like the Germans on our law, law. <laughs> And I don't want to disappoint you, but Leutnant Gruber, General von Klinkerhofen, they're not really German. <laughs> The General von Klinkerhofen is played by an English actor called Hilary Minster. Uh, he was born in Suffolk and lived there all his life. So why should he and I have the same accent? That would only be the case if Germany had won the war. <laughs> and he would have been forced to learn German from day one. But had Germany won the war, there would be no allo allo. It would be guten Tag, guten Tag. <laughs> All them British and American war movies, I really dislike them because we Germans always lose. <laughs> Except for one, what's that called? A, a great escape? <laughs> or as we call it, a great capture? <laughs> I mean, there are two advantages to performing stand-up comedy in a second language, there really are. Firstly, when I started out, my English was still so poor, I didn't understand any of the heckles. <laughs> and that was a big blessing. And the far biggest advantage of doing comedy in a second language, even today, is I'm not being bogged down by everyday problems of a British stand-up. If I go home from a gig where British acts would go, what the hell, how terrible a gig was that? I go home with a sense of triumph, no matter what. Because they thought I was unfunny, they pelted me with glasses and they withheld my pay. But these are all my nuances because they understood me. <laughs> In English, bloody triumph. Uh, uh, speaking of foreign language, it's about confidence. So I still don't improvise a lot on stage as when improvising I'm making too much mistakes. <laughs> oh dear, no one even realised I did make that particular one deliberately. But honestly, I find it difficult to improvise because subconsciously I'm horrified of making horrendous mistakes. Talk about that on stage and sometimes people try to encourage me. They say, Henning, don't worry about your grammar. Your English is better than my German. <laughs> what sort of consolation is that? <laughs> I came over ten years ago. I listened to Radio 4. I read The Guardian. I even tried to pick up all those cricket terms. Like Yorker, Googly, Duckverse, Louis Maffin. I mean, don't know what any of it means exactly, but I try my hardest to master the English and British language and culture. So what I don't need is someone saying, I'm doing ever so slightly better. <laughs> uh, all of that, and he's doing it something that he never even attempted to learn. <laughs> it's like a bloke walking up to a flat-chested woman in the street and going, Oi, darling, don't you worry about your breasts being tiny. They're bigger than mine. <laughs>
And all you'll get is a slap in the face. Or if she's British, she might say, sorry. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, even if foreigners are speaking English fluently, we are firmly put in our place. I remember watching John Sargent's tour of India, uh, him travelling the subcontinent by rail. It was a tremendous documentary. But what did annoy me no end was, despite most the Indians speaking pitch-perfect English, all their contributions were subtitled. Why? John Sargent had fluent conversations with everyone without the help of an interpreter, but still all Indians were being subtitled. At the same time, Stephen Gerrard... <laughs> and Jamie Carragher, who should be subtitled, <laughs> they can gabble on, make me think my TV's broke. <laughs> Foreigners sometimes complain Brits do not speak their mind, which is a nonsense suggestion. Because Brits do speak their mind, but one has to be in on the code to decipher the meaning. Like, like if someone comes up after a gig and says, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I always took that as a face value compliment until I understood that I enjoyed it is code for that was total rubbish. <laughs> It's the same leak as, good effort. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> Some of it was good. <laughs> That's the best I've ever seen you. <laughs> How do you think it went? <laughs> You're so brave. <laughs> now, stand-up comedy. That must be the hardest job in the world. <laughs> Standing on stage, making other people laugh. I couldn't do it. <laughs> Either. <laughs> now my English has improved, and now it's at the level. People say to me, Henning, 10 years in Britain. Henning, do you dream in English? Or do you dream in German. What can I say? Do I dream in English? Do I dream in German? All my dreams are silent movies <laughs> in which everyone gets on with their job. <laughs> and with their job of helping sheep over a fence. <laughs> or at least it was like that in the olden days. Now I've been in Britain so long, I'm busy all night completing risk assessment forms. <laughs> Nah, too muddy, no jumping tonight. <laughs> Health and safety. Uh, now I've had not a nightmare the other day, because one of my dream sheep, so old, couldn't jump the dream fence anymore. <laughs> Didn't know what to do. So I spent all night on the phone to the RSPCA <laughs> until they allowed me to put down the dream sheep. And I haven't slept since. <laughs> Whimsical humour! <laughs> Doesn't suit my nationality, personality, or taste, but I thought I'd give it a good old go. <laughs> uh, Otto, you have written a song about your favourite German word in the English language. Yeah, that's true. And I, Otto Kuhnle, inspired by the Ode an die Freude, the Ode to Joy, written by the German poet Friedrich Schiller. The musical setting is by Ludwig van Beethoven. I wrote the Ode an die Schadenfreude. 
What do you think it's funny? What is your kind of a joke? When your brother drops a toast of honey, all the neighbor's cat goes up in smoke. Life is lonely, sad and lonely, and you don't know what to do. Schadenfreude, the one and only, brings joy back to you. Now everybody, yeah! Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude, here it comes again. Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude, enjoying others' pain. Schadenfreude, no ticket required, the cheapest love on earth. Schadenfreude, come on, get inspired. A pleasure since the day of my birth. A cream pie on your face, falling over an untied lace. A full glass of good red wine on a white shirt that's not mine. Yo. We've learned quite a few things about language today, haven't we? Your vision song contest is not about winning, but retaining your dignity. <laughs> Herr Flick and Helga aren't German. Bad marks at school are your teacher's fault. <laughs> and lots of bad innings for 26 minutes of radio entertainment. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in next week when I'll explain the finer details of rocket science. Auf Wiedersehen! <laughs> That was Henning Knows Best, hosted by Henning Wehn, that's me, and featured Henry Hitchings, the wunderbare Otto Kuhnle, and was written by the cast and Ken Valentine and Liam Malone. It was produced by Paul Russell and was an open mic production for BBC Radio 2. Knows best. Hanging bin, hanging bin, he knows best.